A little over a month ago, I went and saw a very convicting movie called A Hidden Life. It tells the true story of an Austrian farmer named Franz. 36 years old, married with two young kids. And he gets recruited into uh, the German army in World War II. And he's directly opposed to what Hitler is about. Now, for all of us looking back, right, we would declare that to be one of the most horrific things, right? The evidence and the, the tragedy that we saw from the Holocaust. But imagine being in that time, in that moment, right? Many of them caught glimpses, many of them knew partly, but he had enough conviction, Franz did, to know that he was never going to swear an oath of loyalty to Hitler. And so when he was enlisted into that army, right, and, and, and it progresses through a series of opportunities where he could have uh, just said the word, and he would have been okay, but because he was determined and convicted never to swear oath of loyalty to Hitler, naturally there were consequences that came from that. This is one of those paralyzing films, maybe you've had that kind of experience, where you're faced with the question, how deep do my convictions really go? I say that I believe in something, I say that I'm passionate about something, but when I'm truly put to the test, how far do my convictions really go? And so through a series of events, he's led to a courtroom scene, right, where he's facing a certain uh, sentencing. And uh, these were the questions uh, that were asked, and they're pretty hard-hitting questions. They said uh, to Franz, do you imagine that anything you do will change the course of this war? That anyone outside the court will ever hear of you? No one will be changed. The world will go on as before. You'll vanish. So the question I have for us today is why do, we, why do we do the right thing if it changes nothing? What is our primary motivation for making the right decision in front of us if, from our perspective, it's not going to change anything? More specifically, do you choose to make the right decision even when no one else knows you've made it? Practically speaking, who are you when no one is looking? See, your answer to that question is truly the measure of your character. And you think about the person of Franz where he can't, he doesn't have an answer to those questions in that moment. And yet here we are 80 years later, <laughs> a simple man, a farmer, nothing really remarkable about his life, except for one thing, his deep conviction. He was determined to do the right thing, to make the right decision. So I think we'd all agree here today at Burlington Union, we look at our world at large, but also within, I think we have a little bit of a character deficiency, don't we? Where it's too easy to compromise in our day and age because it seems like we too often value more what we do than who we are. The external over the internal. What's easily affirmed by the world around us. We can put ourselves out there, become the best version of ourselves, achievement and accomplishment. And the world praises us. It's okay if we're soft, passive, casual about our internal convictions because we long for, we strive for people letting us know that we're doing a good job at living life. But when we compromise who we are for the sake of portraying who, what, what we're doing and putting out a certain profile to the world, there's actually a pretty hard-hitting word for that. It's called ungodliness. <laughs> ungodliness. That's, that, that, that term sounds pretty extreme. If you're a first-time guest, you're like, oh, okay, I was just hoping for an encouraging word. Now, apparently, we're talking about sin the entire time. Now, we're all in the same boat here. Regardless of how long we've been walking with God coming to church, there's a certain element, level of ungodliness that all of us need to deal with. And that word does sound extreme. Most of us probably would not consider ourselves to be ungodly. You're like, hey, give me a break. I came to church today. Let me start there. So let me give us a working definition of ungodliness according to the author uh, Jerry Bridges. Puts it simply. He says, living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will 
or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. Now, when you put it that way, speak for myself, you're like, uh-oh, okay. Now it's serious examination of every part of my life. Which parts of my life wouldn't really look that much different if God didn't exist? That's a difficult question sometimes to look at. Because if I'm saying I'm passionate about God more than anything else, I've given my life to God, all parts of my life should look dramatically different. So it's a scary reality to know that you can live in such a way where you can come to church, you can call yourself a Christian, you can lead a respectable life, but essentially live as if God is irrelevant. I think we have an indifference toward God problem. Let's call it what it is. Ungodliness is indifference toward God. The reality is there is some degree of ungodliness in every one of us. We're all, if we're being honest, we're hypocrites, all of us. The real question is how ungodly am I? If we're being honest with ourselves, how much of my life do I live without any regard of God? So in this series, all these acceptable sins in life can be traced back to the root sin of ungodliness. I mean, think about what leads to be selfish, leads us to be selfish, to be impatient, to lack self-control, to envy other people is ultimately indifference toward God. I'm just going to do what I feel, do what I want. I know that God calls me to this kind of life, calls me to be convicted, but it's really not that big a deal. And so we rationalize it. It's ultimately indifference toward him. Living with this whatever attitude, more specifically living as if he doesn't actually exist, as if our lives are actually our own. (laughs) And all of us, right, we're on the same boat. We instinctively want to call the shots in our life. We want to grip um, our future, gain control, and determine our next steps. So I want to look at James chapter 4, a very practical book of the Bible, and especially chapter James is talking to a group of people who are very passive and casual about their sin. So he's trying to write to them, give them a wake-up call, how serious they should be taking um, their sin and how they're, they're, they're being passive about the existence, the presence of God in their lives. James 4, 16 and 17 says, you are full of your grandiose selves. All such vaunting self-importance is evil. He says, in fact, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, that for you is evil. NIV puts verse 17 this way, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And all of us have personal examples of how we failed at that. So to combat indifference toward God, we need to begin by being bothered by the distance our sin creates from God. We must see that sin in our lives as an effort really to keep God at arm's length and then respond accordingly. (laughs) And this is where it gets really convicting. Because I think instinctively all of us want to believe that if God wants to get our attention, he will. If he wants to do something in our life, he'll come knocking on our door and he'll barge through and he'll be very clear and blunt with us and say, I want you to do this with your life. And this is the scary reality with God. What we see in in James chapter four, verse eight, is that oftentimes God's design for relationship is that we are the ones initiating action. Yes, he will uh, interfere in our lives in the best way possible to get our attention. But when it comes to walking daily with God, We initiate. Here's what James says, verse eight, chapter four. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's great that that's a promise, isn't it? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He promises not to be distant, to to remain what feels like far circumstantially. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. James goes on, he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded is what we all can relate to. We're inclined to convince ourselves that contentedness and even joy in life can be found in duplicit living, believing that we can live however we want on one hand and still be close to God 
on the other. Just finding ourselves going through the motions as if following Christ is some kind of game to be played. We rationalize certain behaviors and believe that we're still close with God. But there should be a direct correlation with drawing near to God and evidence of life change. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So the very nature of living a life of integrity is living a consistent life, going in the same direction toward God in all areas of your life. But duplicit living, according to Proverbs, we're destroyed by that because we just can't pull it off. Back to James chapter four, verses eight through 10, he simply puts, quit dabbling in sin, purify your inner life, quit playing the field, hit bottom and cry your eyes out. <laughs> He's talking about sin specifically. That should bother us. He said, the fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious about your sin. Now I love the, and the reason why I chose the message translation for, for this section is because I don't remember reading verse 10 in the message translation specifically. And I love the perspective here. James 4, 8, or 4, 10. He says, get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Don't you love that? <laughs> Life is all weakness if we try to stand on our own. But strength can only found, be found, upward mobility, so to speak, can only be found through first getting on our knees, discovering God through the essence of humility. So the only way we can get on our feet and lead significant lives is because we have a faithful father. Don't miss this. How can we have a significant life at all? Because we have a faithful father who paved the way through his spirit, gives us the gift of faithfulness, right? This, is, this series is called Unacceptable Sins, but it's essentially about the fruit of the spirit. Right? We began the year talking about what it means to walk in the spirit. So now we're doing the hard work of what is the evidence of that? There should be fruit that comes from my clinging, my abiding in the spirit. And the, one of those gifts is faithfulness. Faithfulness is the opposite of, is of ungodliness, and we can't acquire it on our own. We can't just wake up and say, all right, I'm gonna try really, really hard to be faithful. <laughs> all of us, again, have examples of how far our hard work got us. The only way that we can ever be faithful is to receive the gift of faithfulness from God's very spirit. So what's faithfulness? Faithfulness is the habit of spiritual dependence. It's the habit, it's the discipline of showing up to God and saying, my life is not my own, I belong to you, I need your strength in order to get through today to be faithful at all. I'm choosing today, God, to draw near. This is the aim of my life. That's not actually my life. So when we talk about dependence, all of us can be prone to unhealthy uh, dependence avenues. We can be, find ourselves trying to find a life or, or salve um, a, a longing in our, in our hearts for, for deep contentedness through dysfunctional things. And some people do get fully dependent on them. Things like drugs, alcohol, entertainment, unhealthy relationships, even our jobs, our careers, ourselves, we become so dependent on working hard and gaining as much control as we can. And so what that means is faithfulness, deciding to cling to God, draw near to God, remind ourselves that we're not God and our lives are not our own. Externally, that kind of looks like weakness, doesn't it? Because faithfulness is reflected in full dependence on finding strength outside of ourselves. Daily showing up says, I can't pull, pull my life off. I just can't, I can't find significance on my own. So here's how I worded it. Faithfulness is desperation aimed in the right direction. <laughs> if we're being honest, we're all desperate right, for, in life, for meaning, for purpose, for significance. We don't really know what we're doing. I'll speak for myself. I don't know what I'm doing half the time in life. So I'm aiming, I'm aiming my desperation in the right direction, which is God, and he'll cultivate the faithfulness that is necessary. Faithfulness is consistently aiming your life in the right direction, no matter what knocks you down or sets you back. I'm, no matter what today holds, I'm coming back to God. 
So let me ask you this question today as we get really practical. Who holds your plans for your future? We grew up, even, even as children, we think about what we want to become when we grow up one day. And naturally, we all want to become some, somebody significant that makes a difference in the world, natural desire, even being known and affirmed by the rest of the world around us. So who, who's making those plans for your future? Who truly holds on to them? James chapter four, verses 13 to 15. He says, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, right? So it's an easy example to relate to. Like, all right, we, we make our plans. This is what we're going to do. He goes on, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So yeah, dream, come up with great plans. But I don't know about you, I become uh, inclined way too often to inform God of my plans. You ever been in that place? Like, God, I just wanted to let you know, here's what I plan to do. Here's what I want to do. If you could just uh, not get in the way of that or facilitate that to happen even more so. Proverbs 16, nine says, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Are you okay with that? We make our plans, but ultimately faithfulness looks like God determining our steps. So who are we to think that we can just go from one thing to the next in life? <laughs> As if we're actually leading our own lives. And oftentimes that's exactly what we do until something like crisis interrupts it. We realize how fragile life really is and there's really no promise of tomorrow. So for me personally, I constantly remind myself of all that God has even allowed in my life and that I simply stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before me. I can, be, I can arrive at nowhere of, of any worth or, or value or significance if it weren't for the people who paved the way for me to experience life to the full, leading with God himself. I am where I am because of God's grace and his, him graciously providing a loving and supportive family along with healthy leaders and influencers who have shaped me. And so every day is a day of dis, embracing the discipline of gratitude. In fact, it's, it was interesting to reflect on. I've been here at First Church for almost 19 years and uh, just uh, experienced just so much richness and relationship in this church family. If you're a first-time guest, I mean, that's what has kept me here. You all are just amazing people, and, uh, and it's all about the church family that God cultivates. And it's a beautiful reality. And uh, so I've had a lot of time to reflect on, on my time here when I started when I was 22 years old. And it's, it was interesting to think about those of you that started coming to First Church in the last four years. If you started coming to First Church in the last four years, there's a really good chance you don't know the names of Wally Rendell, L.D. Campbell, or Greg Marksbury. Now, some of you know L.D., right, because he, he teaches still from time to time. Uh, but L Wally Rendell started the church 56 years ago. L.D. Campbell was senior pastor for 38 years, and Greg Marksbury followed for, for seven years. And the reason why you are able to walk into a healthy church today is because those three men led in such a way where they look to make somebody else's name great. They had the opportunity, the platform, you know, the guys I network with, we see this all too often where we live in a day and age of, you know, celebrity pastor culture, uh, where when you think of a church, you immediately think of the lead pastor and their, their face is everywhere, right? And, and, and charisma leads the way. But the reason why you can walk into a healthy church today is because Wally, LD, and Greg all valued character over competence. They knew their why. And so I think about 50, 60 years from now, where I'm barely remembered, on my way to be, being forgotten, whether or not people in those days, several years from now, walk into a healthy first church will be largely dependent on whether or not today, this very moment, I decide that character is more important than competence. 
where I decide that it's not about me. And the only reason why I'm in this position is to make God's name great. For several years now, it's kind of been one of my mantras in life that's reminded me and given me proper perspective. There was a guy a couple hundred years ago said, in this specific role of leading a church, uh, your goal should be to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Sounds kind of morbid, doesn't it? But that's what success looks like. That's what a significant life in leadership really is. To don't waste any more time getting beyond yourself understanding what is temporary and what is eternal and our primary responsibility to live in such a way we're making somebody else's name great. So for you, when you're faithful to God, when you are faithful to your family, to your spouse, to your kids, when you are honest in your job and in your friendships, when you're making the right decision that is right in front of you, in that moment, you're leaving a legacy Maybe not of competence or achievement, but instead of integrity and significance, not centered on yourself. You're cultivating the ground that isn't really celebrated to the world at large. It's embracing the everyday mundane and the opportunity to simply do what is right in front of you. The end of that movie, uh, A Hidden Life. Again, I mentioned it was kind of that paralyzing, convicting moment. Like, wow, how far do my convictions really go? That movie ends with a quote from a classic novel uh, by the name of Middle March, written by George Eliot in 1871. And the novel also ends this way. It says this, For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, in that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been, is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. <laughs> What's actually a remarkable life? It's not what gets all the praise and the affirmation while the person is living. It's the evidence of a life well lived after they've lived. So I think we need to wake up, really, and simplify life by simply choosing to make the right decision right in front of us. See, the problem is this. And when I say people, I mean all of us. We aspire so strongly to live a significant life that I think oftentimes we irrationally forecast where we want to be, all that we want to achieve, and really we call it what it is, we become depressed by this illusion of irrelevance and we miss the beauty of the mundane, of the everyday opportunity to live selflessly. Jesus Christ exemplified this. He literally made himself nothing. That was his aim. And he said, in your relationships with one another, this is what it looks like to live a significant life as well. So faithfulness is not being spotlight hungry, world, look at me, right? Social media sets us up to fail all the time, right? Give, let me know that I'm doing a good job living my life. Faithfulness is not being spotlight hungry, live, living life driven by insecurity, where we can never get beyond ourselves. We end up wasting so much time trying to get the world to see us and to like us. Instead, faithfulness is choosing to live a life that's not your own, so that you reflect a name that is greater than yours. And oftentimes that's done in the everyday moment in front of us. Many people have grandiose, remarkable moments in their life that are written in books, but God's definition of significance is living an everyday life where you value character, being the right person over doing the right thing because being the right person always leads to doing the right thing. And you look to make someone else's name great. Now there was somebody in our church family that exemplified this in just a beautiful way and it's a tragedy uh, that unfortunately this person passed away at the age of 45 just last Sunday. 
And uh, we had uh, Doug Honor's funeral yesterday, just an amazing man and a significant loss to our church family, obviously, obviously to his wife, Kelly, and their two young children, uh, Claire and Daniel. And so we had the funeral yesterday, just a, a, a time of deep sadness and grief. But I'll tell you what, when, when you know, and I, I was staying in this very spot, reflecting on Doug's life, and that, that was not a difficult thing to do. I just described his life, and that was pretty much the message, because that was a life well lived, a life that was way too short but a life that was lived beyond himself. And so Doug was all in. And uh, what's interesting, and this is why I wanted to share today in the context of this theme, is many of you across Burlington and Union and especially Campbell County have no idea who he is, even though he's been at First Church for about 20 years. Some of you do, you know him really well, but many of you have been deeply impacted because he's made men's ministry and homeless ministry and discipleship ministry important. He's provided a ripple effect through his heart and through his effort to get beyond himself. He has no interest in a platform. And, and so even next week when we have the men's conference, right, that's largely due in part because of Doug's effort to pave the way so that men could gather and get filled up. You know that now, you wouldn't have known it otherwise. And every single year, uh, Nate Verst, our, our men's ministry guy, him and, and, and uh, Doug would, would uh, plan a uh, lads and dads uh, trip to the gorge. And so he will be deeply missed, but the number of people who will be impacted by his life continue to be, is not dependent on his existence because he got beyond himself. So yesterday there was a unique experience, and I've never had this, this kind of activity that we got to participate in before in a funeral, uh, but the family immediately knew this is what they wanted to do. Because Doug had such a passion for helping, helping homeless people, and he would regularly uh, minister to homeless men that we would house here when the temperatures got cold, which we did Thursday night and Friday night, the night before uh, his funeral. Uh, and so he got to know them and to minister to those people. And even Friday night, I was told that there was a, a special time of tribute to Doug. And so he would spend the night, um, you know, when the emergency shelter in Northern Kentucky was overflowed and they need space. Doug was like, all right, I'll, this is my, his heart. And even his kids spoke to this. This is what, you know, Claire, his daughter said, I love that my dad had such a heart for, for homeless people. And so yesterday the family had it in mind that there would be a table set up out here in the, the lobby at Burlington when people came in for visitation uh, or the service or even afterwards, they'd have the opportunity to put together a blessing bag, practical, practical items and a note explaining the why to give to homeless people, right? You keep it in your car. And uh, when you come upon an opportunity to give it to somebody, you hand it off to them. Imagine that moment. Now, many of you have done this before. We've talked about the blessing bag, um, opportunity to, to, to minister to people that way. And it meets a, a tangible need. But imagine that moment when a homeless person receives that and finds out why they're receiving it. It's because a 45-year-old just passed away, but lived life in such a way that he's still making an impact beyond his life. <laughs> I mean, the tri-state's going to be impacted by a man who is no longer with us. This is a significant life. And so Doug, right, was not a, uh, an out loud, remarkable, spotlight person, but this is what it means to find true significance because remarkable life is often found in the hidden, the quiet, the small, the mundane, showing up and saying, how can I make a difference right now, right in front of me? One of my favorite authors, Ruth Haley Barton, she puts it this way, and I want to close with this quote because I want this to be as relatable as possible. I want, us, I, I want, us, I want indifference toward God to be a big deal in our lives. I don't want us to just get our church in and go on with our life as if God isn't actually a part of our life. She puts it this way. Is indifference really a sin, some might ask? She said, well, only if you take seriously the weight of God's instructions to be kind and tenderhearted towards one another, to love one another fervently, to listen and bear with one another, to speak the truth in love, 
to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed, to forgive as we have been forgiven, to welcome the stranger, to share our bread with the hungry, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. She said, only if you believe that in Christ there is no longer Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of us are one in Christ. She goes on, none of these attitudes, actions, and behaviors emerge from indifference. (laughs) She said, instead, they emerge from hearts inflamed with passion for God and for other human beings. Guts that move, that literally turn over with compassion for the plight of those whose basic life experiences have been different than our own. And minds attuned and committed to spiritual principles that make life more human for for all. So if you found yourself in a place where, like me, you stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before you and you're put in a position, an opportunity to get over yourself, to get beyond yourself, let's get busy doing that. All of us find ourselves in different circumstances, different journeys in life. And if you're in a place where you're like, wow, look at all that God has provided to put me in a place where now I can make a difference in other people's lives, all that's left is action, especially understanding we're never promised tomorrow. So in thinking about Doug today, and thinking about how all of us stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and thinking about the fact that someone chose to die for you so that you could live in hope, may we desperately run after God, draw near to him daily, always dissatisfied with our sin, which is what separates us from him in the first place. It attempts to distance us from a God who never stops running after us, who refuses to give up on us. Even when we choose to go our own way to try to make a name for ourselves, to find significance and achievement and accomplishment, may we just stop in our tracks and desperately cry out to God, God, give us the vision to get beyond ourselves so that we can get busy living and one day we die and we're forgotten the way in which we lived is still making an impact. God created this church for all of us to be in this kingdom investment together. May we not miss it right in front of us. Let's pray. Father, in these moments as we try to grasp, put our minds around all that you have for us, maybe something that's right in front of us that we can't see because we can't get beyond our own personal agenda for our lives. We're trying to grasp for people to uh, look at us and to facilitate our own search for significance. God, I pray that we show up to you. We desperately cling to you. We draw near. And so as we sing here this song, I pray that we all cry out to you, knowing that if we have more of you, we will walk around full. And we won't be as desperate as we were before, striving for temporary measures. But God, we'll be filled up so that we can reflect that to other people and help them draw near to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.